0: You're listening to a Project Horse Podcast Extra. On this podcast extra, we're talking about a horse that We have a significant amount of interest in some experience being around we're not associated or involved with his development or career in any capacity anymore but we're super familiar with this horse we're still huge fans of him we've followed his career with great interest and hopefulness that he succeeds and continues to succeed in a big way uh, in the ways that he has recently the horse we're talking about today his name is epic titan won't go into too much backstory on him. Chances are, if you're involved in the reigning horse industry in any way, you've heard of him, maybe even seen some of the videos of him online. But for those not too familiar, I just wanted to give a quick rundown on this horse's development and our insights that we've gained from watching this horse develop and grow, um, we'll get into a little bit later. But this horse has overcome some significant obstacles in his young career. He was born deaf, which um, he's by a sire called Colonel Smoking Gun, commonly known as Gunner. And his foals have a higher genetic probability for deafness, and Titan was one of those that inherited that gene. So he's completely deaf. Although, pedigree wise, being born to a mare named Princess in Diamonds and with the sire that he has, his pedigree's probably the definition of world class, I would say. And this horse has always had great expectations ever since the day that he hit the ground. But an added bump in the road for him was that as a yearling, he suffered a major leg injury. He actually fractured his sesamoid as a yearling. And that recovery time that it took to get healthy again delayed his start under saddle as a two-year-old by six months. So he was six months behind the rest of his class when he was finally started under saddle. But he was started and trained, and he ended up going to Andrea Fapani's. In September of his four-year-old year, year. he was still unshown. By that point, he'd been making very rapid progress, despite the six-month late start compared to his classmates. But he wasn't quite ready to be shown yet. However, I'd I'd say his remarkable progress up to that point was the first real sign that anyone was getting of his superb talent level. Just hadn't really been fully proven yet.
1: Yes, when he arrived at uh, at Andreas, I would say he had oh about. Two years and, say, four months of training, three or four months of training, and, you know, he definitely lived up to kind of the old wives' tale of the good horses, they catch up, that was definitely, definitely this particular horse, um, even though he was started in June of his two-year-old year, whereas everything else has started right at the beginning of the year, you know, first of January, okay, we're starting our colts. There's people that start them way earlier than that too. I've I've um seen ranches where they start them in October, early November if they're a bigger two-year-old. So, you know, he was definitely behind the 8 ball in that respect, but he caught himself up fairly quickly. And anyways, once he came to Andreas, the horse suffered a, another injury. The second time he was injured was to his stifle. And uh so then at that point, the horse was then sent back to Texas.
0: Um, to stand as a stud. And I remember, actually, um, when they announced, f- first they announced that he was getting some time off to recover. Uh, he didn't have a career-ending injury, but they decided, let's play it safe and give him some significant time off. And then they brought him back and announced they were going to offer a limited amount of breedings to him. And people, you know, there was a lot of negativity and a lot of judgment surrounding the fact that he was deaf. He hadn't shown yet. He'd had multiple injuries, blah, blah, blah. Lots of whining and hand-wringing on social media. I actually saw a lot of myths and just outright lies circulating about how people were saying he's, he's not that trainable, and lots of crying about the fact that he's deaf, and those people ended up eating a lot of crow, because Titan recovered, he continued his training, he went back to Andrea, and in his career debut... Which was at the 2018 Cactus Reining Classic, the Open Derby, and he had a he won that with a score of 233 and a half, and then he ended up making the NRBC Level Four Open Finals, and I believe he was co-reserve champion of that. So he was starting to finally prove himself, and uh, Silver Spurs ended up bringing him into the fold, and his breeding is now being managed by them, premier players in the reigning horse industry to say the least when it comes to high-quality sires, and that's definitely a testament to the potential they see in that horse. So, the negativity from before has died down significantly, and you don't see the people with their backyard 400 bucks a pop breeding operations crying about how irresponsible it is to put a deaf stud on the market. But I've seen this myth still persist, and you see it on social media all the time, that this horse's entire progression of which you were a part, Luke, and which was documented on YouTube, in fact, that that's all a lie, or that, that you know what he was doing prior to going to Andreas had no value whatsoever. And I saw another post like that from some ignorant guy in a cow horse group on Facebook yesterday, and I wanted to bring this up on the podcast because I feel like we, especially you, Luke, in particular, that we can offer a unique perspective on this because I know you were heavily involved in this horse's training prior to going to Arizona. When you're in Arizona, you got to observe the changes that Andrea made in this horse's program and see his further development when he got out there. And I think there's a lot of great insights to be gained from watching that process. And it it actually influenced to a massive degree the way we think about our own program. Right. Absolutely. You know, right off the bat, this horse, face value,
1: already was a, a great minded horse, really easily trainable. And so that's a huge deal. That's why, that's one of the reasons that breeding is such such a big deal. But going into the training side, before he arrived at Andreas, this thing was already super broke. You know, it had an idea of the maneuvers. It was a reigning horse. I mean, you know, you can look and go see, see the videos. It could stop, he could turn, he could roll back, he could circle. You know, he could do all the maneuvers a reigning horse could do. But he was also super broke. I mean, you could tie this thing up in knots and just... Search and search for resistance and stiffness. And it was give, 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 give. You know, there was no ounce of pull or stiffness or resistance in this horse. I mean, the horse was super broke. So, making the transition then, that program to Andreas, the biggest thing that I noticed was the shift or the radical shift in the focus from more of a training and you're kind of the detective and you're looking for stiffness you do maneuvers, yes, but that's not your, you know, that it's not your sole focus. It's something you do delegate energy and time towards, yes, but still the greater focus, not by much, but still the greater focus was stay soft, stay controlled, make sure when I pull you give. You know, there was always still that there as a predominant part of his training, whereas coming to Andrea's, It was the sole focus was on the maneuvers and very little at that point was put towards the maintenance mode or maintaining that brokenness. It was kind of like, that's an afterthought, you know, almost like, oh, you don't have time to get less broke because we're so busy now working on this other maneuvers. You have no, nothing, no option there other than to just continue to get more and more broke. And, Mm -hmm. but this horse had such a solid foundation that it picked right up on that, that radical shift in programs.
0: And we've had very little issues with that. That's a huge positive example for us because I've seen so many people look at that foundation work and just want to write it off or dismiss it. You know, like, you don't need to go that in depth. What does that matter? doesn't have any benefit, blah, blah, blah. And we've said all along that getting the horse soft and broke through the body to a much higher degree than most people think is necessary. In our conception, it's a good thing. When done in correct proportion. Right. And that's a
1: big thing that we hear all the time. Um, I
0: know in particular, a
1: friend of mine who's down in South Texas, and he goes to a lot of uh, smaller shows and schools, some horses down there, and he'll hear a lot. He'll hear, oh, you know, that, I mean, that's pretty good. Those buttons you got there, but, you know, you don't need that for the show pen. So you don't want to teach your horse something that he don't need to know. Yeah. And I find that a bit of an, of an odd statement. Because the more buttons you have on your horse, the more things you can do with it, the control you have. If you have just as much control of the horse going backwards as you do forwards, or the different ways you can turn the horse around or go in and out of a turn, or the different ways you can soften up his ribcage or move his body around, all of that will add to the quality of your finished product with your maneuvers. And it'll make your job easier in teaching those maneuvers. And yes, you may not actually do that in the show pen. yes. But it's almost like the the old cliches you see of like athletes that they'll say, all you see is, you know, me standing on the podium, getting the trophy or getting the ring or whatever. But what you didn't see was the hours in the gym, you know, working on this, that or, or what else, you know, you might have a professional football player or something like, say, a quarterback, and he'll go through days of his workout where he probably doesn't even touch a football. He's doing all kinds of other Exercises and and workouts to to prepare him to be a football player, but it didn't involve throwing a ball. Well, what's the point of that? You weren't you're not going to go out there and and do squats, you know, in the middle of the game. Well, no, but it's going to prepare you better to do your job once the game happens, and that's kind of the the mindset that we have, and we saw that play out, especially with this horse. I think the the best testament to his foundation and why it was valuable is. You take a horse that's been trained one way all his life, right? And then you send him off to another program that is vastly different, completely different school of thought
0: in how to train a horse. And he excels. Mm -hmm. He, He handles that transition and the changes and the added refinement to the program without an epic throwdown, without much drama. You know, sure, there's a learning curve but i think that's the biggest testament like you were saying is that there wasn't those fights and the difficulty he he re- he had a relatively smooth transition so you you've mentioned some things to me about areas of added emphasis that andrea addressed in the in the program when titan came out there and i felt like they would be valuable to talk about because this is a note we're trying to hit so often in the podcast which is to strike the balance between getting the horse super prepared, soft, broke, mentally soft, and ready for these types of things, but you also have to have the added specific focus on the maneuvers too. You can't let that slide either. And so you mentioned to me three areas of added emphasis, which were the turnaround, circling, and stopping, and that there were some elements that needed to be addressed there. So for starters, what were the main things that that you learned or that you observed Andrea doing in the turnaround, that was a different, like a paradigm shift compared to the prior program. I would say that that was the biggest area where there was a difference
1: in in styles and program was the turnaround. Um, there are definitely some differences between the stopping and the circling, but most of the differences were found in that turn. The biggest things that that he was radically different about in the outlook of his turn was well, first and foremost was just the ribcage placement on in the turn. The balance in the turn. He was very much picky about a horse that's straight underneath of you and balanced underneath of you. Whereas the program that Titan is more familiar with is a little bit more knocked off balance, which again, you know, that's more of a point of leverage and that translates then to softness. But balancing a horse up, moving that ribcage underneath the horse in that turn. That gives the horse balance, which in turn gives it foot speed, which also in turn helps it rock back over itself in that turn and stay in the turn. So it's just got a wide variety of ways to sharpen and enhance that turn that he hadn't had before. So I'd say one of the biggest differences was going from a lot of bending the horse in and out of the turns, like laterally suppling him in and out of the turns, to a lot of keeping him straight in and out of the turns and working on straightening him in the turn. Not taking him, softening him laterally in the spin, but every, getting everything straight and getting that rib cage hung from hung out in the side to completely straight. A good example of that is when he first came down there and he was riding him for the first time. You know, one of the problems that he noticed that was uh that, and he had been told about this problem as well because it had been a persistent problem was that, especially to the left, this horse would turn his head and lead with his ear in the spin. He would, like, look kind of to the right, but his head would still be tipped to the left. So technically, like, his ears were still tipped to the inside of the spin, but his nose was tipped to the outside. He would, like, twist his head. And anyways, it, that had been kind of an ongoing problem with him, and it got a little bit better, but not not really. And it was still constantly there. And so Andre had been discussing with Titan's owner, you know, different, different things that had been tried and blah blah blah, blah. And, you know, they discussed it a little bit, and then he just, Andrea, then just headed off and kind of went about his own business and just started working with him. And he never addressed it at all. He went and started just almost, he almost treated him like a, you know, a fairly experienced two-year-old. He went back to just driving him forward and around outside the turn and straightening up his ribcage, softening him up, straightening him up in the turns, driving him back out of it, softening him up outside of the turn, forward and around, keeping him straight. Getting that rib cage off of that right leg. And he just did that for a couple days. And he just worked on getting that rib cage underneath of him in and out of the turn. He did a lot of his work outside of the turn, especially because it was a new deal for the horse. After about a week or so, that head turning problem virtually disappeared without even addressing it. As he had told me, it wasn't. That was just a byproduct of having his ribcage bowed out and being off balance like that. Like it was almost a way of counterbalancing himself Mm -hmm. because he was already out of balance, you know, at his ribcage. So once he got that straightened up, it was like it's almost like a chiropractic adjustment when someone was if their their back is out, they're walking all crooked. And then as soon as they snap the back back in place, (laughs) all of a sudden now they've got good posture again. You know, Kind of one of those deals. And so that was a that was a big kind of aha moment to, to look and see mm-hmm. um, for sure. Another thing that he did in the turnaround was he was very, very picky about the first step, how the horse gets into the turn. Well, in the same vein as that is he was very picky about making the horse mentally responsible for staying in the turn. What Titan had had previously was more of, well, when the horse is forward in the spin, stop them after the spin or back them up. Those would be your two ways to suck a horse back. And you'll keep making that same correction every time you turn the horse around, stop him or even add a backup until he starts sucking himself back. And then you can go back to driving him out of the spin. And it's kind of a back and forth game. Whereas Andrea, he's, he was really big about asking for the turn and giving the horse quite a bit of freedom to mess it up to walk out of it, but he asked him for, he cued him for that turn real subtly, and if he were to step forward with that inside front foot, if he were to step like over and but forward with that foot, he'd back him up like two steps, ask again, back him up a couple steps, ask again, and he would just dare that horse to leave, bring him back, ask again, bring, it wouldn't make a real big hissy fit or, or commotion about it, bring him back, come again, bring him back, come again, and then finally when he would step over and back with that inside front foot, then he'd let him turn. And his reasoning for that as well was the way you start your turn, it's going to dictate how you finish that turn a lot better. If you start it crappy, the chances of you fixing it in the turn once it's started is pretty slim. And the, and the chance of it finishing better than it started is slim. If you can start it perfect, the chances of you maintaining that or letting it slightly degenerate and finishing it really well pretty high. So he was very, very picky about that first steps, that straightness through the body and that correct first step. And then in the turn as well, he was was very picky about the horse almost pushing themselves back towards him in that spin. Like that was a new concept to me that I, that I wasn't familiar with, um, was that feeling of a horse pushing themselves back towards you in a turnaround. And that allows you to increase more speed. And that horse, if they're kind of fighting that, that force of that added speed will allow them to stay balanced and in that turn and with you in that spin. They won't leave that spin. And so kind of the same principle as well. He'd let him leave the turn, bring him back in, let him leave, bring him back in, let him leave, bring him back in. And just in that process over several weeks, he just slowly kind of tinkered away at that and just slowly improved and improved because the horse had the talent there. He had a lot of natural foot speed and a good style in the spin. And so it was a matter of, taking what he had had known and going from a, say, college athlete to now a professional athlete, Mm -hmm. kind of learning the more fine-tuned ways to do particular maneuvers.
0: I think the biggest insight for me, based on what you would relate to me, describing how Andrea would deal with some of these issues, is that he'd fix a lot of things, you know, working on the turnaround itself, rather than kind of breaking off the maneuver and coming up with a drill to try to fix specific issues within the turn. He focused on the maneuver itself, and he made it very obvious in the way he would correct the horse that the horse needs to think back with him, stay in the turn, right. Another insight to that, as
1: far as working on staying in the maneuver itself, not addressing it outside and then coming back. Another big difference as well was trying to correct a maneuver one-handed. Get in if you get in a bad situation, try to get your way out of it one-handed, not go to two. Um, which is what say Titan would be used to. Go right. with two hands, leave the maneuver, fix it, come back to the maneuver, reset. You know, he was very big about get into it, and if there's an issue, trying your best to get out of it one handed, because when you go and show, that's all you've got. So you want to make sure that you can correct issues just one handed and it adds a higher level I mean it adds a higher level of difficulty in the training side of it, no doubt, but
0: it adds a higher level of polish as well. Now, we've also talked about that in the context of circling, but I think there's a few more details you wanted to share on that front. You mentioned to me that Titan, as far as circling goes, he was one of the few reigning horses in your experience, personally, that you felt was truly broke and soft to a high degree, like that you could take a hold of him, take him deep on the circle at speed with hardly any resistance. But you said the flip side to that was he wasn't he wasn't able to run hard and really stay committed to the circle. You kind of had to hold him there. Even though he was soft and super broke, you kind of had to keep him on the circle. And, and Andrea was doing things to get him to take responsibility for staying on that circle himself and know where it is. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's a, a big thing that you hit on as well. There's a lot, you know, that's
1: not to lump them into generalities there because they're definitely a lot that are broke to, to that high level. But there are a lot of horses out there that can circle. And as long as you don't touch them at all, they'll go around pretty nice and, and semi-pretty. But the moment you just try to take a hold of them, oh boy, do they get offended. You know, like that's a rampant problem that, you know, you'd see, and especially different outside horses that Andrea would get in. Uh, there'd be ones that would have just a boatload of of issues like that. And they'd look real pretty in the you know, you'd go on YouTube and you'd find the video um, from the run at whatever Derby or whatever. And, oh yeah, that looked pretty good. And then you go and see the thing ride right at home. You're like, wait, they showed that thing, you know? <laughs> and you just you go to just lope it along just at a slow speed and you try to touch its face and it's offended. Let alone run at a high speed. And so this horse cred a testament to his foundation and that lateral softness that leads to mental softness. The lateral softness. It's not so much there to shove the body around. It's there to retrain the mind. It's, re- it's there for the mental softness. And that showed that with this horse in all the maneuvers that it was doing, be- even though things were getting stepped up to a higher degree than this horse knew how to do or was comfortable with, the fact that he didn't throw up a bunch of resistance or red flags, as would be the norm, is a testament to his foundation and his his training You know, prior to that. In the circling, specifically, the main issue that this particular horse had was mentally he wasn't really dialed into that particular circle. You know, as, as you add speed especially, he would just kind of drift and wander and, you know, the, it, they were very sloppy. He'd kind of cut off the circle a little here, drift out in the middle over there, a little all over the place. And so he did a lot of daring the horse to leave, bringing him back out on the circle, letting him drift out, steer him across the middle. Lots of daring him to leave, making the correction, a lot of drills specifically oriented to the circling, and one-handed again, but a lot of daring him to leave, like really daring him, like almost with his body, like you'd see him leaning over one way or the other, just begging him to, because he could feel him thinking about it, and he would just beg him to leave the turn, and then take him back to where he should be, or, or steer him the opposite and cut across the, the middle of the circle, something like that. In doing that, he just made the circling a maneuver that Titan had to take mental responsibility
0: for. And so that was a big change in his program. Yeah, we've touched a little bit on that on previous podcast segments. We've talked about specifically some of those same exact corrections, which are adapted from having watched that played out and and using those corrections ourselves to fix similar issues. The final area I wanted to touch on in this segment was the rundowns and sliding stops. You told me that in his previous stopping program, the previous program really relied heavily on Titan's natural talent, just as a big stopper, but Andrea took the refinement of the rundown and the stop to a whole new level in terms of speed control and the focus on body position and straightness. The stopping portion of it, like
1: you mentioned, up to that point had been, he definitely knew his job with, like, he he knew how to stop, and his natural talent just took over, and so, I mean, this horse could absolutely drag his ass when you would draw him into the ground, or say, whoa, or whatever, like, you just fold in half, like, a piece of paper, um, when you asked him to stop, but it was more so kind of his natural talent. He had never really run at a high rate of speed, and... His gear system was a bit shaky he he really didn't have a highly defined gear system, especially for a show horse. You know you could go down and fence him or just work on your stops, say schooling him, but he really didn't have the gear system necessary to round the corner one handed and build up to a high rate of speed or build up to the high rate of speed and then slowly bring it back down and say round the end or something like that. He didn't quite have that well developed, so a big thing that change for his program was developing kind of that gas pedal type of a of a gear system, where as he adds a little bit more leg, the horse needs to add a little bit of speed, and if that leg starts to come off, the horse rates back to him. Now, the fact that the horse is, is deaf like that, it adds a little bit more of a degree of difficulty, but as a general rule, you don't treat them any different. Like, you would still still see, hear him clucking to the horse, and, you know, a lot of people that ride horses that are deaf do the same thing. They don't treat them any different, give them any special favors, and they end up working out just fine. It's kind of, a lot of the times you see someone, oh, I need a different cue if I shake the reins at the horse, or something like that, you know, it'll be, it'll supplant it not being able to hear, and it and it, it doesn't, you end up just tiptoeing around and trying to make excuses, and you never just go in there and get it broke. You know, it seems like, especially with these deaf ones, you just treat it like a normal horse, and as a general rule, everything it it just picks right up. It learns its job, and you know, moves along just fine. So, along from the adding that that gas pedal and to speed up and slow down on his rundowns, rounding the corners, he would work a lot on getting him a lot straighter there as well. Through because of that softness in his neck, with say neck reining and steering him around, you know, if he laid the rein, he would look that way and then go that way. And so it was kind of like a disconnect. He would look and then go with the rest of his body, where he, where Andrea would prefer that when he steers, that whole body follows that, that, uh, that guide with the reins. It kind of swings like a door almost. Yes. Yeah. Like a door or a a gate on a a hinge, something like that. It almost has that type of feeling. So he worked a lot on, Steering the horse, getting him straight for for that, so by the time he's facing the other end of the arena, the horse's body is already straight. We don't have to worry about that. Now it's time to run the horse down. And same thing with the stopping program. He stepped it up, adding a higher rate of speed to what he was doing, and he, he was a lot pickier about the way the horse stopped, his corrections that he would make after the stop. Turn the horse around, either left or right, or back the horse up, or a lots of stopping the horse and then driving him out of it and, say, side-passing a circle forward and around, either driving the front around the rear or driving the hindquarters around, or then loping the horse forward all the way to the fence um, and turning them around a particular direction. There was a lot of little adjustments that he made to enhance that stop, to get him a lot more balanced, a lot more free up front, and to almost learn how to slide a little bit farther and not so much completely commit to the ground and slide really hard and wide but really short Mm -hmm. you know I mean some shoeing definitely applies in that and as does the horse's natural ability it's not like you're going to take a horse that slides really wide and they make a a huge v pattern it's not like you're going to get that completely straight and make them slide 30 feet They have their own kind of capabilities and feel, but it can be something that's tweaked with a little bit here and there. And so that was something that he, he spent a lot of time on as well, was just improving that rundown and stop to make it a show horse quality
0: maneuver. So Luke, having been involved with that horse a great deal prior to him going to Andrea's and then contrasting that experience with what you observed watching Andrea work with him. You gained a lot of insight and through you, I gained some insights into what it actually takes to make the jump from a horse that's super broke, you know, very mentally soft and pliable that you can, you can kind of create some maneuvers with to really getting him dialed in and really taking responsibility for those maneuvers. I would say the
1: biggest takeaways from that are the fact that, you know, it was kind of a big eye-opening moment. The horse arriving to Andreas is like, "Okay, this horse has all the talent in the world and all the training, but at the same time, it can only go so far unless you teach the horse to take responsibility for all the maneuvers that you have taught him up to that point. He needs to to think for himself, almost think on his feet like yes, there was more training involved and and taking the maneuvers to a higher degree of precision and uh you know allow him to compete at a higher level, yes." But at the same time, the whole main theme of all of that was make him more responsible. I do less, you do more in the maneuvers, not so much in the softness or breaking him loose or something like that, or the body control. It's the same mindset, like a horse that gets more broke or is getting more proficient at doing body control exercises, your goal is to have you as the rider do less and the horse take more of the responsibility. But For whatever reason, there was kind of that disconnect there. It never translated over to the actual maneuvers. And so that was a big thing that Andrea implemented pretty much right off the bat, was you have to assume responsibility. And once he got that horse to really think through these maneuvers, like, he's got him really engaged, because the horse has to think through every maneuver and what he's doing, rather than kind of of decide, well, I think this is what's going on, but I'll let you kind of tell me. Rather than that, he, was, he knew his job, and he knew when he was responsible, and when he screwed up. The horse knew that if he did this, okay, that's the wrong choice. If I do this, that's the right choice. Like, he knew what was expected and the parameters. But the other big thing that I took away from it was there's no discounting the foundation that horse had. You know, the, the foundation that he had with a lot of lateral, a lot of suppling, hindquarter control, that gets trashed on a lot because it doesn't ever show up in the show pen, You don't see that. There's no maneuver that specifically displays the work you did leading up to that. But the fact that this horse went from one program to something radically different and didn't go through the typical pitfalls, the, the rearing up, the leaping through the air, the galloping off wildly, you know, pulling the bridle through the, you know, the hands of the rider, is a testament to the work done prior and the program that was implemented prior. Uh, making this horse mentally submissive, not, not just, you know, they, it gets a bad rap because, oh, you're shoving the body around, all you're doing is working on the body. No, you're working on the horse's mind more so than the body. The body is just a means to enter the mind. And what you're really doing is suppling that mind. You're not suppling the body, you're suppling the mind. And it was obvious that that horse showed up. Like, think of that. It's a complete culture shock from what he's been doing to all of a sudden the expectan- expectations have just, skyrocketed like that's a huge deal especially for a horse to comprehend that and the fact that he took that in stride it cannot be discounted the training this horse had prior